This is John Halsman, and welcome to the Patrick Henry Podcast for this week. When we look at the major institutions of the world, how they're failing, and what we might do to make them better. Today we talk about the uh, one of the fundamental subjects that we're going to cover, which is overall U.S. decline. Uh, as Alcoholics Anonymous rightly say, the first step in dealing with a problem is to acknowledge that you have one. And for 20 blissful, sunny years, the United States has ignored the storm clouds that have been gathering, uh, both socially, domestically, and in foreign policy. It's across the board because we had no peer competitor. We, no one was breathing down our necks, so we didn't have to take an inventory of ourselves. And during this period of kind of fatuous nonsense, uh, things got worse rather than better because you can't write a problem that you don't acknowledge exists. Uh, but now, um, in a number of ways, we can see problems across the board. And as an American patriot, this is a plea for dealing with them. The United States, let me start off by saying, remains by a long way the most important country in the world, the chairman of the global board, um, the most dynamic economy of the major powers, the best military of the major powers, culturally in a dominant position, and even more so financially with the dollar in a dominant position. There are a lot of positives to the United States, fewer demographic problems than, say, Europe, Japan, and some of our other rivals, the Anglosphere countries uh, who are allies, but also great powers, um, and better demographic conditions than our, our number one enemy, China, which is going to get old before it gets rich. So there's an awful lot out there that's positive, but saying that there are also fundamental problems with the United States, that if we sleepwalk through history, history will master us. And so today, three of them hit within the course of a week, and so I thought it would be a good time to have a survey of what needs dealing with. Let's start with socially. In the past week, in their heavy-handed way, the Chinese have, in effect, under the government of Xi Jinping, talked about almost abolishing video games for children. They are going to drastically limit the time that kids can play video games to three hours, mainly on the weekend, um, and that this is it. How they plan to enforce this, they don't say. And as a good libertarian, I would not advocate the United States doing the same thing. But the Chinese are playing for the future. The Chinese see the future as children, that video games are filling their head with absolute nonsense, that few kids read books anymore, let alone deal with reading comprehension or the inside world of the mind, as the great Greek classicists would put it, and instead are wasting their time on what amounts to intellectual Doritos. While video games like Doritos taste good, they provide nothing but junk food intellectually. The Chinese playing for the future see that they have to limit this danger so that they can indeed dominate the world. Contrast this with the American position, where seeing that minority students in America don't receive as good an education as the rest of the country, which is an absolute scandal. Our schools should be cathedrals. Uh, I go both left and right on this issue. Our schools should be cathedrals. There should be a lot more money. Being a teacher should be an upper middle class profession, like being a doctor, like being an engineer, like being a lawyer. After all, this is our future. Nothing matters more. But they should also be fired when they're bad. Having the agrarian labor system where somehow teachers get three months off because they're supposed to be helping the rest of us bring in the harvest last made sense in the 1880s. And any profession that adopts the East German labor model where no one can be fired leads to corruption, 
complacency, and very bad work indeed. It's why communism didn't work, and it's why teachers' unions are the great villain of the COVID peace, in my view, um, no longer being able to talk about kids hiding behind things because they'd rather manage parents' teaching um, than teach themselves rather than drilling children. And I've been a teacher. It's hard work. Rather than drilling children and actually dealing with them, far better to manage parents' homeschooling children. And boy, don't we see the results. So instead of dealing with this problem and paying teachers more and allowing them to be fired uh, and making this a serious profession, throwing money at this as a national security issue, I can't think of anything that's more of a national security issue than the education of our children. Instead of all this and these radical changes, what do we do? We say minority students aren't getting a good education by testing, and this proves it, so let's do away with the testing. And in doing away with the testing, um, doing away with the testing, we have a tremendous problem because in doing that, um, we see that the students don't get better. We just do away with anyone doing well. We're going to do away with honor rolls because the problem is excellence. The problem is excellence. If we just do away with this notion of intellectual excellence, everything will be fine. So let's get rid of teaching um, AP courses because they're racist to teach math in an advanced way. Let's do away with honor rolls because it's racist to expect African-American and Hispanic students to excel. I find this racist. I find this shameful. I find this absolutely giving up on vast swaths of the country. The goal isn't to lower standards in a socialistic way so they don't exist at all. The goal is to raise standards because throughout history, it's by raising students' standards that we get the Steve Jobses, that we get the Bill Gateses, that we get the Thomas Edisons, that we get the Andrew Carnegies, that we get the future. And by having the graduate system that is still the envy of the rest of the world and dumbing it down, in the efforts of not offending anyone or hurting anyone's feelings, we're doing away with the very meritocracy that has made America so different than every other country. Ironically, the Chinese, after the Cultural Revolution of Mao, where they did away with education and made it, in effect, an ideological cheering section for a left-wing lunatic, I mean, Mao approximates Ted Bundy, um, without the policy skills. And... Instead of doing away with that, Deng Xiaoping said, no, we have to go back to meritocracy. The only way China will ever get out of this hole is to actually make testing far more rigorous, to make teaching far more of a profession, to make failing, helping failing students achieve, helping good students do better. And instead, the United States in a dominant position has done exactly the opposite. We've done away with standards. And in doing away with standards, you're talking about this we are giving ourselves a future that will be nothing more than a world of hurt. Teaching isn't racist. Holding, holding minority students to standards isn't racist. It's, it's helping them raise their position socioeconomically and giving them a real chance to have American dynamism moving ahead. Pay teachers more and fire them. Make schools a cathedral. Put huge amounts of money, instead of in Afghanistan, $2.26 trillion, put it into teaching. But as long as the United States thinks that through great inflation, through pretending everything's fine, when every parent alive knows it's not, um, they don't know nearly as much as we did, but let's give them all an A and then the parents will be quiet and all will be well. Or let's do away with advanced placement courses and say everyone's the same. Let's not ever aspire to intellectual excellence in any way. 
Um, this is lunacy and societies that do this commit suicide. This is in my book, To Dare More Boldly, the key first political risk statement, the political risk is us. Societies tend to be destroyed from within through social factors. And education is the absolute key social factor. So this week, the Chinese in their Orwellian ham-fisted way, which I certainly would not replicate, realized the danger of video games while the Americans talk about doing away with ever going back to face-to-face -face learning, even though the risk of doing so is utterly negligible. D doing away with this, doing away with standards, treating minorities as though they can't succeed, which I find offensive and racist, and doing away with the excellence that has made the American graduate school system the glory of the rest of the world. This not must be addressed and like yesterday. Second point domestically. We return to my good friend, Dr. Fauci, who's been caught, as my grandmother would put it, lying. There is absolutely no other word for it. In May of this year, before Senate congressional hearings, Rand Paul, the libertarian senator for Kentucky, and Dr. Fauci are no friends of one another. And Paul demanded a straight answer from Fauci as to whether the National Institutes of Health, which Fauci heads, has ever involved itself in, in funding gains-of-function research for the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where, as you know from listening to other podcasts, one can suspect the COVID virus began. In essence, he's asking, is the United States indirectly funding the very people who may have let loose the virus on the rest of the world? Fauci, offended that anyone would dare challenge him, already a sign of decline, in a republic, I have a right to challenge everyone because everyone works for me. I'm the people and the senators represent me and they have every right to hold everyone who makes a sinecure and Fauci's one of the highest paid civil servants in the United States to account. Fauci said, indeed, this never happened in any way. The National Institutes of Health have never funded anyone doing this and left the matter at that. Well, now the intercept through the Freedom of Information Act has intrepidly gone through and seen that Fauci is, as my grandmother would say, lying, lying. There is no other word for it. $599,000 were given to Fauci's friend, Peter Daszak, who funneled the money to the Wuhan Institute of Virology for working on bad coronaviruses and enhancing their transmissibility. That is the definition of gain of function, enhancing a virus's transmissibility artificially beyond what it already was to, to investigate it, to use science, to do research on it. But that's gain of function, and many people find this highly controversial even before this whole process began. This is the very same useful idiot, Peter Daszak, who went around after the virus went out and gathered together other scientists, Fauci included, to demand that everyone say anyone who supported the notion there may be a lab leak should be wearing a tinfoil hat and looking for the Loch Ness Monster and discredited for a year what now looks like the overwhelmingly likely outcome, that indeed the virus originated in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So Fauci funds his friend Daszak, who is a useful idiot for the Chinese Communist Party, um, constantly saying, no, there's no lab leak, going off on the WHO investigation of the lab leak, and after not being given the document saying, no, there was no lab leak, with no empirical evidence Whatever. I also have a PhD, and to get one, you should know what empirical evidence is. Facts. 
Facts, facts. And it turns out $599,000 were put aside by Fauci's Institute for DASIC to then funnel it to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to do gain-of-function research. So Fauci lied. What has happened to Dr. Fauci for lying to the republic that he's supposed to serve? The Congress, one of its major roles from Alexander Hamilton and James Madison on, is to investigate and keep honest the executive branch. That's all Senator Paul was doing. I would say the same if the roles were reversed and we had a democratically leading senator challenging a Republican-leaning office holder. This is how the system has to work. This is how republics have to work if they're ever going to amount to anything. And so what has happened to Fauci? Hear crickets chirping. Nothing. Nothing's happened to Fauci. Nothing will happen to Fauci, even though he lied, lied to an Senate investigative committee. He should be hauled up in front of the Senate right now and be asked immediately to comment on the intercept. What it appears to have happened is that Fauci has so narrowed the definition to suit himself about gain of function that he's pulled to Bill Clinton. We all know what this means. He's danced around the truth. And instead of dealing with the truth, he has changed definitions to suit himself, ignoring the spirit of the law, trying to follow the letter and saying, by my own definition, crafted by the National Institutes of Health, we did not perform gain of function or fund it. Even though, by every definition, what DASIC gave to the WIV to use a bad coronavirus and enhance its transmissibility is gain of function. This is Orwell. Words have meaning. And if you don't hold people to the meaning of those words, we don't live in a republic anymore. And we have a tremendous problem. Fauci should have been fired yesterday. Anyone lying to Congress should be fired as of yesterday. That's the only way a republic works, is if the oversight mechanism between the Congress and the executive branch works. The intercept the intrepid newspaper that it is under the Freedom of Information Act has unearthed these documents that make it absolutely clear that Fauci lied. If he doesn't go, that's a canary in the coal mine that the republic is very sick indeed and that we're in decline. If people get away with either lying or stupidity, we're in real trouble. And lying and stupidity brings me to the last topic. The Afghanistan papers, the Washington Post published in 2019, which I read as though they were a horror novel. Basically, the Washington Post unearthed the inspector general in Afghanistan who did an intrepid job. One must say, here's a civil servant earning his pay, outlining all the false promises of progress made in Afghanistan from 2001, basically up to 2019. And he concluded that people were deliberately lying and that privately they knew things weren't going well at all, but they were positively saying things precisely so that we keep staying in an utterly unwinnable war. It's the losing gambler syndrome. These people's careers were on the line. They'd failed to live up to their prognostications, and they knew it. So rather than admit it, which is how oversight works, they lied. They said, oh, no, we're turning the corner. We're always turning the corner. In Vietnam, that's what the credibility gap was called a generation ago. Or in Iraq, when no one knows what occurred, a Sunni or a Shia are, but we're going to transform that society anyway. Or Afghanistan, where finally we come upon the point that after lying, obfuscating, making false metrics up as though everything were hunky-dory, this was an institution, the Afghan government, that even though in theory it had 350,000 soldiers to the Taliban, 75,000, 
collapsed, in essence, in 11 days. Certainly, people made egregious errors and downright lied to keep us playing at the tables because we were losing. Dad couldn't go back to mom, having lost the college fund, so he kept playing. And worse, all these folks kept lying, kept misleading Congress that things were in tremendous shape, when obviously, by facts, empiricism has to be the order of the day. Facts, 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 they were not fine. They were nothing like fine. So yes, it's easy to pile on General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who doesn't know that Bagram Air Force Base might be useful in an extraction from Afghanistan and instead leads us through the bottleneck of Kabul International Airport. This is breathtaking. He should go. The defense secretary, he should go. The intelligence analysts who said that the government would last three to six months, they should go in a meritocratic system. When people make mistakes, they must go. And when people are successful, they should be promoted. Eisenhower wins World War II in Europe. He becomes president. That makes perfect sense. But if you leave people in place who utterly failed and obfuscated, we have a problem. And there's an interesting comparison with the Vietnam generation. Robert McNamara, McGeorge Bundy et al. did not go on after Vietnam to great success. Yes, McNamara became head of the World Bank for a while. Bundy never made dean at Harvard, which everyone thought he would get. But in general, they were quietly but decisively sidelined. And I had the great good fortune to meet McNamara as a member of the Council on Foreign Relations years after the fact. Here is a man genuinely conscience-stricken by what he'd done in Vietnam, the Fog of War documentary details this, but having met him, having had a drink with him at the Council on Foreign Relations, we talked for several hours about Vietnam, and the man was still in agony. Years later, decades later, he was still in agony for what had happened. That's not what what's happening to these people, the nation builders out there who had jobs, be they Bill Crystal, the intellectual cheerleaders, Richard Pearl, particularly odious, odious example, who was talking about on the Syria there was no limit to these Robespierreists and Applebaum at the time. Peter Beinhardt, who's since changed, but at the time was leading the cheers for the liberal interventionist left. All these folks should be held accountable and should be fired from whatever job they have, whatever sinecure, beyond the military brass. But instead, who's been fired for Afghanistan? Nobody. Nobody has been fired. And nobody will be. And we all know that. So we're living in a world where this week we were told, well, let's do away with testing because it's racist rather than deal with the massive educational problem we have in the United States post-COVID. We were told there'll be no accountability for Dr. Fauci, even though he blatantly lied to a congressional investigative hearing. And there'll be no accountability for anybody in Afghanistan because everyone was to blame. Well, speaking of as someone who lost his job, over the Iraq and Afghan wars because I knew they would fail. I don't think this is good enough for my sacrifice, let alone the sacrifice of the 2,500 American soldiers who died fighting for their country or the egregious wounds given to thousands more. If the Republic is to be sustained and if the United States is to avoid decline, we must look at the social problems, the domestic problems, and the foreign policy problems of the country that just came up this week, bubbled up this week, with clarity, based on empirical facts that we can all look at. Your interpretation is your own. Your facts are not. 
Fauci lied about gain of function. Afghanistan was a debacle, and general after general overstated how well things were going, that we were about to turn the corner over and over and over again. And so from Milley and Lloyd Austin on all the way back, these guys shouldn't be rewarded for their egregious mistakes, nor should the intellectual cheerleaders of the time, the Richard Pearls of the world, the Frums of the world, who now pretend they're against everything that they were for. This magic trick mustn't be allowed to happen. For those of us who love intensely the United States and are still willing to put themselves on the line for the Republic, to avoid U.S. decline, we have to fight off its symptoms. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the Patrick Henry podcast. And if you did, please do subscribe. There's a button at the bottom. And for those of you who have subscribed but have yet to contribute the $7 a month, we're basically asking our monthly Starbucks fee, as we call it in the office, please do contribute because I love doing this for you and want to continue doing more and more things like the Patrick Henry podcast, the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast, the serialization of the book to dare more boldly before we do the others, but I'm enjoying it immensely and I'm delighted so many of you are too. For $7 a month, we can put more and more content on. We will then move it over to the those paying this. And so we want to give everyone plenty of time to make the transition. I am honored that so many of you have already done this, and I'm honored by the huge number of subscriptions. I think Substack is the future. Please prove to me that this is true, and let's move forward together. Thank you very much.